Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here in Midtown Manhattan from the world-famous talk radio 77 WABC. And what should we do about it? What is your level of involvement? But first, as we wrap up the year 2020, and a lot of people are upset about wrapping up 2020, but I thought it was a pretty decent year despite challenges. It wasn't horrible. I mean, some people would argue, what do you mean it wasn't horrible? But it wasn't. I don't think it was a horrible year. I think it was actually a pretty decent year. All that being said, I have a question that I want to ask. At what point do we defend our children? At what point do we defend our homes? At what point do we defend our Constitution? Well, if you have to ask, you're probably not going to do anything about it anyway. Now, again... I'm at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all social media. And I want you to chime in on this conversation because it's one that comes up very, very often. People constantly ask, what is it that I can do? What can I do? What do we do to stop this? What do we do to help? And the reason I say if you have to ask what we're going to do, you're probably not going to do anything. Or if you're saying, at what point do I blah, blah, blah or blah, blah, blah you're probably not going to do anything because we've had so many breakpoint moments like this in our history, even recent history. You know, I remember 2007, 2006, very sharp, charming, polished, eloquent state senator from the state of Illinois was debating the former Ambassador Alan Keyes. And I was watching this on C-SPAN, might have been maybe leaving late 2005, whatever year their election was. And Barack Obama is that young statesman who was very, very sharp. And I remember watching him on TV and I said, man, this guy's sharp. He's young. It's like a black JFK. This guy's going to be a mover and a shaker in the Democrat Party. And my wife at the time looked at me and she was like, eh, I don't see it. (laughs) Well, I was right. And he became president, the 44th president of the United States. So now you've got Barack Obama who told us everything about him. He told us he didn't lie. The only thing I'd say he lied about, other than the spying on the Trump campaign and all that stuff as of late, and he hasn't even lied. He just kind of just says mum. But what he really lied about back then, before he became president, was how he defended, uh, you know, he supported DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. And he viewed marriage as something between a man and a woman because it wasn't politically expedient for him at the time. And he did switch his position on that. But other than that, We knew everything. We knew how he worshipped, where he worshipped. We knew that his pastor, Jeremiah Wright, said things like, Not God bless America, 
God damn America! His words, not mine. And if you never heard that audio, you can find it real easy on YouTube. We know about Reverend Wright. We knew who Obama was. He told us who he was. He gave these rock star socialist speeches in Germany. He showed that he was a global citizen, that he believed in the larger globe more so than he believed in America. And he was extremely clear about it. Matter of fact, in every speech I ever heard Barack Obama give, I never heard him talk about America and having a bright future until he was leaving office. In fact, it was his farewell speech where he said, I feel so confident about the future, the bright future that America has. So all that being said, we knew who Barack Obama was. Now, why am I talking about Obama? Because we went through eight years of Obama and nobody did anything. Okay, some patriots stepped up. They created the Tea Party movement. And that was probably one of the biggest achievements, which we've seen Tea Party 2.0, known as MAGA. Fantastic. My point is, the world is not going to stop spinning, and the uh, United States will not cease to exist if Biden becomes president. But a lot of things will change. And a little bit of America does die. I'm not saying that it won't. But I'm saying we got through eight years of the demagogue in chief, Barack Obama himself. So I understand when people tell me things like, you know, oh, we've got to get the military involved. And I think, what, what is it that we believe? Let's stop right here and do a gut check. What is it that we believe? I know what I believe. I know that I believe I don't want the government in my life. I know that I believe that my freedom is based on me and that my Second Amendment protects me from an armed government, i.e. the military. So am I anti-military? No. Do I believe that we run our country by military? Of course not. We don't. This isn't a military dictatorship. It's a constitutional republic. So why on earth we have people clamoring, begging to live under this type of dictatorship? We have to get the military involved. We have three branches of government, which is probably one of the beauties or one of the most beautiful things about our government system is that we have this system with checks and balances, with various branches. It's a well-thought-out system. So why would we want to change that and replace it with a Castro-like regime, the one they have in Cuba, or with something like what Maduro has going on in Venezuela, where if they don't like what you say, they kill you? A buddy of mine got into some trouble after high school, grew up in a really good home, made a few bad mistakes, took a few wrong turns, ended up in jail. Turns out his parents were Nicaraguan immigrants, and he brought him here when he was two years old. I didn't know that. I always thought he was born here because this kid always had the newest Jordans every time they came out, lived with both his parents. Most of us didn't. And I said, man, he's got a good life. Turns out he gets arrested, goes to jail, does a few years in jail here. And then they said, hey, look, you're not a citizen of the United States, so we are revoking your residency and we're sending you to Nicaragua, a place he doesn't even know. So he goes to live in Nicaragua now and we keep in touch via Facebook. And one day... I saw some news about what was going on in Nicaragua. And you guys know, the Sandinistas back in the 80s, these guys are communists. I ask him, hey, what's going on in Nicaragua? He tells me, everything you're reading is true. It might be worse. He said, bro, last week they shot 300 people in the street for protesting against the president. That's what happens when you get the military involved. When military might becomes how you enforce your government on your own citizenry. 
So, no, I do not want President Trump using the military to do anything that he should be doing in a court of law. And that's my position on it, because you know what? I know what I believe. This has nothing to do with Trump. This has nothing to do with picking and choosing. At least I think we either believe it or we don't. You either love America or you don't. You can't sit here and say, look, I'm a patriot. I love America. I stand by my country, but, comma, but. No, it doesn't really work that way. We follow the rules. That's why we have them. Now, if you're going to make the argument to me, well, listen, the Democrats don't play by the rules, so why should we? Then you are the Democrats. I mean, I think that's fundamentally how it works. It's like, imagine the cops going, well, the criminals don't follow the rules, so why should we? Hello? You're the cops. You're supposed to follow the rules. If we're patriots, we're supposed to defend the Constitution, uphold the Constitution, enforce the Constitution. Now, that becomes more murky water, right? So in terms of how we get involved, what we can do, how we do things, that matters. President Trump himself last week said more fake news that he was going to be using martial law. Now, who do you think spread that rumor? I've been hearing the rumor of martial law for three and a half years from these Internet chat board people that are engaged in a digital war. And a lot of them are my compatriots, my friends. But I have to say, what is it that you believe? Do you believe what you believe? Do you believe in the Constitution? Do you believe in America? Do you believe in the presidency? I believe President Trump does. Because make no mistake, President Trump does have at his disposal the Insurrection Act. And I went over it recently. I'm not going to reread it to you. But that Section 3 there, it, uh, it, uh, it lays out everything. Where you're able to do what you've got to do in an insurrection. So keep it locked right there. We're going to get into what's going on with the interference, the irregularities, and what the heck is interregnum. Keep it locked right there. I'm Rich Valdez. You're listening to This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. Bienvenido, America. I am Rich Valdez. We were talking about how people get involved, how people react to what's going on with the current political state of affairs in our country. And so many people say we got to get the military involved. And again, that is an actual option, but it's not the one that I want. And I've explained that in the first segment. And it's also not the one the president wants because he has the Insurrection Act at his disposal and he doesn't want to use it. Now, what's interesting is I was looking at this article, Epic Times. December 28th, former South Carolina senatorial race candidate Bill Bledsoe called on President Trump to order the establishment of a military tribunal to investigate efforts by a foreign power to tamper with the presidential election. He added that he believed the forthcoming intelligence report on foreign threats to this year's election will reveal evidence of the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, and their interference in the election. Now, what's interesting about all of this is you know, 90% of the time, maybe even 99% of the time, military tribunals are for people in the military. Now, people have tried to stretch that definition with zero luck. Although sometimes I have had this conversation with people where they're like, well, you don't really know what's happening. Once you open up that can of worms, well, we, none of us really know what's happening. When you eliminate the floor and the ceiling of what is fact and what is truth and you step into the world of idealism where you create your own truth, what's true for you isn't true for me, we're no longer having a conversation. Because I can say I'm standing on a carpet that's gray and you can say, but do you really know that you're standing on a carpet that's gray? Once you go there, it's, it's over. You're a whack job. 
I can't have a conversation with you. But there, now that doesn't mean that we always know the truth and that there's not cover-ups all the time. Of course there is. Is it my job to discover every cover-up? I don't think so. I think it's my job to live my life independent of all of the drama that's going on. But all that being said, so this guy, Mr. Bledsoe, Bill Bledsoe, he says we need to use military tribunals. Now, the Constitution says that military tribunals, or at least the statutes around the military tribunals with the United States Code, say that military tribunals are for military individuals and or enemy combatants. So now, if you can finagle a scenario where you can say that someone is an enemy combatant, similar to the enemy combatants, these unnamed, you know, non-army, insurgent, radical Islamists that fought against us in Iraq and Afghanistan and other places, we can make the case. But can you really make the case that some bureaucrat in Washington, who is a corrupt politician and perhaps a murderer and many other things, that they are an enemy combatant? Can we really make the case that they are treasonous? I think people throw this word around. I did a great interview with Greg Jarrett, uh, Sean Hannity's legal um, analyst, and he explained, no, there's lots of federal crimes people are breaking. Treason isn't one of them. And that's why we. I think we've had one, maybe two executions in the country's entire history based on treason, because treason is a very clearly spelled out in the United States Code. You're helping someone that we are at war with. So people will be like, well, we're, at a, we're in a trade war with China. There's no declared war against China. It's a trade war. That's what it is. So you, you just can't make this jump and say, well, we're, we're at war with China. Listen, I agree. I had Gordon Chang on this program, and I, I'll tweet that out if you want to take a look at that interview. And Gordon Chang, foremost expert on China. He himself says, China. He himself says, that China is waging unrestricted war against the United States. I believe that statement to be true. I believe that the United States is not waging war on them. I think President Trump is hitting them in the pocketbook with, you know, not trade embargoes, but tariffs, in effect, vis-a-vis, same outcome, or close to it. So what ends up happening is we start taking these hop skips and these jumps away from the facts. And we start to think that these things are going to happen. Now, listen, if come January, you know, mid-January, late January, and you see on TV on C-SPAN, there are military tribunals being, you know, uh, conducted with a judge's advocate general, then, hey, Rich Valdez was wrong. I have a feeling I'm not going to be wrong. I have a feeling that civil litigation isn't even succeeding. Now, again, you can make that same argument. Well, if civil litigation isn't succeeding, if the Supreme Court isn't succeeding, the president has the right under the Insurrection Act. Yes, he does. And clearly, he's not using it. Maybe he's saving that as an ace in the hole. Perhaps. Maybe he's saying, you know what, we're going to go step by step until we get there and I've run out of options. That's a possibility. But it's so uncharacteristic of Trump. When has he ever done something like that? He hasn't. He threatened to veto a bill. He threatened to veto a bill. He signed the bill. Why? Because he negotiated and he got what he wanted. He didn't have to use the veto. See my point? Trump threatens a lot of things. He's negotiating. He's making a deal. So I don't think that that's going to happen. Moreover, Jenna Ellis, Trump lawyer, says she opposes the use of the 1807 Insurrection Act. 
1807 law allows a president to deploy the U.S. armed forces to deal with a civil disorder, an insurrection, or rebellion. It allows the president to address domestic violence or an unlawful conspiracy in any state that results in the deprivation of constitutional rights that a state fails to protect. Look, that's clear as day. Pennsylvania failed to honor their own constitution and failed to honor our constitution with respect to their election laws. We can maybe make the case that that was an unlawful conspiracy. Did they do it by accident? Or did they conspire to do it? Was it what they planned to do? I would argue that they did plan. And I would argue this is a solid use of the Insurrection Act. But Trump's legal team ruling it out, saying no thank you. Trump has said no martial law. We're not suspending people's constitutional rights. In fact, he wants people to engage in their constitutional rights. He doesn't want to take them away. He's not a white supremacist, but he says, you know what? If there are bases that have been around longer than me that bear the names of Confederate generals, who am I to change that? That's history. It's free speech. It is what it is. I'm leaving it alone. That's his position. Trump creates a pattern. You see how he rolls. When he needs to rock the boat, he rocks it. When he doesn't need to rock it, he doesn't rock it. That's just how he is. Now, according to Jenna Ellis, she says, quote, certainly, I would not advise the American people to want that. And this is an interview she did with Justin News, John Solomon. We have a constitutional process for a reason, and we have the judicial branch that really does need to step in. I think that the Supreme Court absolutely let the American people down by refusing to take up the Texas case. Alice was referring to the Texas lawsuit that was filed in the Supreme Court against Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia. These all argued that the states violated the Constitution by relaxing ballot integrity laws, whether it was signature verification, mail-in voting standards, ID verification, whatever. She went on, she said, the state legislatures, they can look at all of this corruption. They can look at how their laws and their states were totally ignored. They can take back their delegates at any time. And they can refuse to go along with the certifications that are absolutely false and fraudulent. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade. So that's the constitutional solution. So it's clear that's the the route or the road that the Trump team is pursuing. And to me, I think it's a, a wise one. And honestly, it's a very prudent one because should Trump go that route and not succeed, you know, he gave it his best. He lives to fight another day. If Trump decides I'm putting my foot down, I'm going to take this thing back by use of military force because these guys broke the, ro- the rules. They broke the law. They changed the, the rules and they changed the law without actually doing it lawfully. Eh, guess what happens? This is a huge part of history where president, it's going to be written, president refuses to leave, uses military to stay. Maybe I'm wrong. People don't say that about Lincoln, and he did similar. We got close to this in 1876. So what happens in 1876? Well, that was the Rutherford B. Hayes election. And a little while back, about a month ago, right after Thanksgiving, right before Thanksgiving, I filled in for the great one, Mark Levin, 
right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And I shared with you some research I had done in a really good article that I found where it talked about how they came up with the 1877 Compromise. But I'm not done yet, so keep it locked right there. You're listening to This is America. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. Welcome back, America. We talked a little bit about what happened in 1873, right before this break. We talked about what type of involvement people need to have. People always say, you know, what is it that I can do? I'm just a regular person. And I say, everybody's an ordinary person until they do extraordinary things. What results can you get doing the same thing over and over? Einstein says that's lunacy. So in order to get results you've never had, you have to do things you've never done. And in one situation in our American history, back in 1876, excellent article from November 3rd, 2020, mentalfloss.com, headline, his fraudulency, Rutherford B. Hayes and the contested presidential election of 17, excuse me, of 1876. Now, I read portions of this, like I said, when I uh, guest hosted the Mark Levin show recently, and it was really well received, so well received that before the show was over, the great granddaughter of Rutherford B. Hayes called the program and thanked me for sharing this. And she's uh, actually a sitting city council person in California. So thank you for that. By the way, since I'm on not into the topic yet. The podcast that I host here at WABCRadio.com, and you can get it there or wherever you get podcasts, which is also live here every Sunday, live at 5 p.m. This is America with Rich Valdez. I encourage you to download that, catch up on the last few episodes. It's three times a week, three 10-minute segments, and it's really digestible. I think it is. You know, I'm a big fan, personally. But I say that because we have been doing so well. Last I checked, we were at number 51 in the Apple News, excuse me, Apple News Politics, the political chart, where we're usually in the top 200. We got boosted up to number 51, and I owe that to you, the listener, for listening and sharing and maybe being off for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it is you're celebrating. And so as we go into this last week of America's 2020 year, Take a minute and check out the podcast. I think you're going to enjoy it. So again, welcome back. His fraudulency, Rutherford B. Hayes and the contested presidential election of 1876. The events of the 1876 fight for the White House likely sound familiar to Americans today. Voter intimidation, the threat of violence, an unprecedentedly nasty presidential campaign. Hmm. Talk of a Supreme Court poised to rule in favor of the candidate that shared a party with their majority. And though it was nearly 150 years ago, the outcome of the presidential election of 1876 reverberates in America even now. The image that goes with this article is the cover of a newspaper headline, Our Nation's Choice. Will it be Tilden? Will it be Hayes? The election was a showdown between New York Governor Samuel Tilden, a Democrat, and Ohio Governor Rutherford B. Hayes, a Republican. Tilden was well known and active in national and New York politics. Earlier in his career, he'd been a key player in helping send the corrupt Tammany Hall boss leader, Tweed, straight to prison. Hayes, on the other hand, was a virtual unknown. The country was in turmoil. The economy was suffering thanks to the panic of 1873. That had to do with the Fed, by the way. So if anybody out there, end the Fed, end the Fed, that's been going on since then. 
And of course, racial tensions were high following the Civil War. Hayes's Republican Party supported federal power and the rights of black citizens, while Tilden's Democrat Party wanted to limit rights for formerly enslaved people. They wanted to limit the rights of blacks and let the South govern itself independently so that they could continue to perpetuate racism and slavery. Democrats, take note, 1873. The campaigns quickly grew contentious. At one point, Hayes' backers reportedly said Tilden had rampant syphilis, and that had impaired his mental capacity. He didn't. While rumors circulated that Hayes had shot his mother while he was drunk, he hadn't. But insult-slinging was just the tip of the iceberg. Does that sound familiar? Peeing on Russian prostitutes, all that kind of crazy. This stuff isn't new. Democrats urged some prominent militias to make threatening appearances at party meetings and polling places, specifically asking them to target black citizens in the South, South Carolina, namely. Each Democrat, the party said, should seek to, quote, control the vote of at least one Negro by intimidation, purchase, keeping him away, or however else they determine, end quote. Decades later, Senator Benjamin Tillman of South Carolina proudly admitted that the party had gone to extreme measures to swing the vote, including killing members of the opposition. Yep, you heard it right. Senator came clean and said the Democrats killed people in 1876 in order to win certain districts. We're talking about electronic ballot fraud today. They were murdering people then. Not so far-fetched. The presidential race was thought to be so firmly in the Democrats' grasp that newspapers had already printed headlines declaring Tilden's victory. I've seen that before, too. But despite their best efforts, the polls were a lot closer than anyone had expected, including the candidates. So on election night, Tilden won the the popular vote by more than 250,000 votes, but remained a single electoral vote away. Hayes was at 165 and went to bed assuming he'd lost. Writing in his diary, we soon fell into a refreshing sleep and the affair seemed over. Of course, it wasn't. The presidential race was thought to be so firmly in the Democrats' grasp that three states were so close they couldn't call them. Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. If Hayes took all three of them, the presidency would be his. However, the Republican-controlled Louisiana Election Board offered to to say that the vote had gone to Tilden for the princely sum of $1 million. So get this right. Republicans were selling out the Republican candidate. Hello, Georgia, right? Things that we're seeing now for a $1 million back in 1873 or 1876. It was believed that the other two close-to-call states made similar offers, but Tilden's party refused to take the bait. And that may have cost him the election. I mean, this is so eerily similar to what's going on today because this stuff's been going on for a very long time. Back to the story. Election boards in Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina voided a number of Democrat votes for a variety of reasons, including because the inspectors at one Florida precinct went to dinner and left the box holding the ballots unattended, which suddenly made Hayes the clear winner. 
Now, what's that? Those are those chain of custody issues that we're seeing all over the place in Michigan, Nevada, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona. It's clear as day, Philadelphia. Back to the story. But then other issues emerged, such as the one in Oregon, where it came out that one of the state's Republican electors was also employed as a postmaster, and thus he was unable to cast his vote for Hayes. So he quit his job and was reappointed as an elector. But the governor certified the Democrat elector instead. Doesn't that sound familiar? Governors certifying their Democrat electors instead of the Republican electors. And through this threw the Oregon vote into question. Almost done. Weeks of uncertainty dragged into months. And with every day that passed, the country became more deeply divided. Many worried, quite seriously, that another civil war was on the horizon. And if there wasn't a decision, by March 4th, interregnum would take effect, leading to the potential for yet more chaos. Senate Republicans wanted to let the Republican majority Supreme Court decide the outcome of the election. But Democrats cried foul. So they created this bipartisan commission, basically picking people from both parties. Five members of the Senate split three and two in favor of Republicans. Five members of the House split three and two in favor of Democrats. And five members of the Supreme Court. It ended up uh, being a wild card with the Supreme Court person. But ultimately, they did what they did, picking this guy, Justice Bradley. And even though he was respected for his independence, voted Republican, giving the Republicans on the entire committee, special committee they created, a win with the 8-7 majority. So while this commission deliberated, they made deals, a lot of deals behind the scenes about ending reconstruction and so many other things. This is how they made their, their backroom deals. If they backed off and allowed Hayes to be elected, the Republican Party agreed to a number of concessions on issues that impact the United States even today, later known as the Compromise of 1877. The informal agreement is thought to have included the removal of troops from the South, the promise that a Southerner would be appointed postmaster general or at some other cabinet position, and that funds would be directed to help rebuild the South after the war because racial issues would be continuing to be the talk of the day. And they didn't want the federal government involved. They wanted to do their own thing with respect to how they moved forward during Reconstruction or ultimately ending Reconstruction. Unsurprisingly, the Electoral Commission split down party lines. All eight Republicans said Hayes deserved the votes in all of the disputed states, and all seven Democrats voted against him. The majority won, and because of the compromise, the Democrat Party stopped contesting the results. Rutherford B. Hayes was privately sworn in as the 19th president of the United States on March 3, 1877, and publicly on Monday, March 5. And the article goes on and it describes a few other things about their memoirs and whatnot. You could check it out if you want. But the bottom line here is not totally uncharted water. We've seen this stuff happen before. This is why. When people say that Trump, it will Trump concede, I say Trump must never concede this election. Every American who loves our Constitution is rightly upset that this election was rigged. The Supreme Court, state legislatures, they refuse to do anything. The media keeps advancing leftist philosophy, changing the definition of words as if they have no meaning. When the fake news media says that Trump or his allies 
lie. They're simply saying that they don't agree with Trump and that Trump doesn't agree with their activist agenda. The fake news media doesn't deal in the truth. It doesn't deal in the facts. Oftentimes, sadly, it propagandizes. It just tells the story that they want to tell, irrespective of the facts, irrespective of truth. But history repeats, and facts matter. And although it doesn't seem that way when we look at the propagandists in the pseudo-press, thank God for the few faithful journalists out there that still believe in the truth, and for our president who fights for what's right in this republic. So are we going to go into interregnum? I really don't think so. I mean, technically, we're kind of in it. But I think we're going to have a clear winner. I think Trump has whatever ace in the hole or pardon the pun Trump card that he's going to play. He's going to play it. If charges are going to be brought, I think they're coming soon. I think he himself doesn't know which direction this is going to go on January 6th. I think he's optimistic because like so many of us, we see the facts, we see the videos, we see what comes out from Mayor Giuliani, and we expect that something will come of it. Listen to what Mayor Giuliani had to say. Check this out. And I can report to you, not the final result, but I can report to you that we're well beyond the point that would change the election. Remember, only 10,000 in Wisconsin. So starting after Christmas, this is really going to blow up. Because the evidence that all these um, crooked television networks newspapers, big tech, and the leadership of the Democratic Party all have been, have been giving you is false. And you're going to find it out all at once. It's going to be very shocking to the country. It's going to be very shocking to the country is right. We have to step up. Like I said before, what is it that we should do? Everybody's an ordinary person until they take extraordinary action. You have to do something. People can no longer sit there and go, oh, but I'm retired. Oh, but I'm trying to feed my kids. Oh, but I'm trying to do this. And oh, but I'm trying to do that. Listen, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm really not. But I, I did well in the private sector. I did okay even in the public sector. And coming into a new industry, I had to start at the bottom and work my way up because I wanted to reach more people with this message. Not an easy task, but I was willing to suck it up, grin and bear it. I made the switch, and every day I take step by step up this ladder to do better and better at delivering this message because I realize that I can reach more people on radio and podcast than I could in any other medium. You don't have to get into radio. You don't have to get into podcasts, but you do have to do more than you're currently doing. It goes beyond giving a few bucks. You have to put yourself out there, become a volunteer, run for office, do something, teach someone, mentor someone. You've got to get involved. And that's why I always say, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. That's Hamilton. And to quote Lord Acton, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to do nothing. So stand up, rise up, do something, know something, and take action. Because America needs you more now than she's ever needed you before. Take care, God bless, and Happy New Year. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site. 
out on the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade.